Welcome to Behind the Table, produced by Ryko Theatricals. We take an in-depth look at the creative process and the creators behind it. We are flipping the audition table to be more inclusive to new stories that deserve to take their rightful place behind the table. Our show airs every Tuesday at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern on our social media, at Ryko Theatricals. Now please welcome our host, Sherry Nell Thompson. Hello, and welcome to Behind the Table, an in-depth look at the creative process and the creators behind it. On tonight's show, I'll be having a little conversation with blogger and curator of music and arts, all things art, um, John Michael Butler. We're gonna be talking about podcasting, blogging, and being the multifarious man. I wanna go ahead and get started, so let's do it. Welcome to Behind the Table. John Michael! Where are you? <laughs> there he is! Hey! <laughs> Then didn't go quite as smoothly as uh, we had we had hoped. <laughs> hey, when it's live, it's live. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Um, it's it's summer. I, I or yeah. almost summer. I can't believe it. This you know this year is going by so fast. After 2020 lasted for six years, um, right. 2021 is blazing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is really blazing. I'm so glad that you were able to um, come on to the podcast tonight and have this conversation with me. I am also blazing because I am here in very warm Georgia at my parents' home, my childhood. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we, you know, after being in Florida now for, you know, goodness, almost 20 years, I, I know the heat. Um, there's nothing like that Southern heat. Mm -mm. No. So, all right. Well, I'm ready to get this, this conversation going. Are you ready to switch places from being the interviewer to the subject of the interview? Yeah, that's, that's weird. I'm really, I, you know, I told myself not to be self-conscious about it because um, I'm so accustomed to getting people to talk about themselves and asking them questions and then just kind of sitting back and just letting them go and then just kind of be in the guardrails, like at a um, bowling alley, um, when you, when you have the rails up for the kids or for the adults that aren't very good, um, to kind of keep things going in the right direction. But you know, I, I like to talk, as you know, as my teachers growing up, um, well, not happily said all the time, but I've always been a talker, so I'm I'm ready to go. <laughs> he has the gift of gab. That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's do it. Um, you call yourself the multifarious man on your social media accounts. What is the meaning of multifarious man and how did you land on this name? So I've always considered myself or, well, yeah, not considered myself as a little kid, as a like a renaissance man. It's like I've always loved a little bit of everything. I guess the easiest way to sum it up is um, my favorite movie of all time is Casablanca. My favorite actor is Humphrey Bogart. My wow. favorite rapper is is a toss up between Jay Z and LL Cool J. 
So at any given time on my, you know, my MP3 player, my phone, I don't think we have MP3 players anymore. Everything's streaming. Um, there may be Sinatra playing on the mix. There may be Queen. There may be, you know, old school hip hop. So I've always enjoyed many different things, whether it's history, whether it's art, whether it's science. I've always been interested in many different things. So, you know, about going on six years ago when I came up with the Multifarious Man podcast, um, I was one of those things. You do word searches, you know, looking up um, using my dictionary um, app to kind of look up different things that meant what I wanted and fell upon multifarious, which it means numerous and varied, greatly diverse or manifold. And then, of course, man, you know, the human individual is represented by the species. So I put those together and it just seemed to fit. Um, it worked and no one was using it. So that was one of those things. It's like you start to search for things and I'm like, huh, I don't see this word coming up that much or at all. Um, so once I made that decision, I I stuck with it um, and then, you know, started coming up with my own little logos and started a blog on WordPress many moons ago. Um, and then that evolved, of course, into the Multifarious Man podcast. Nice. So at the, we were talking a little bit earlier, you know, but, you know, behind the scenes of behind the table, you, you always want to kind of have, you know, kind of like that pre-interview, not you want it to be fresh, but the kind of what are we going to talk about? What direction are we going to go in? Right. Um, and one of the things I mentioned was I saw your logo, that behind the, the table logo, where it's just very simple. It's like you see the table, you see a, a woman sitting there with the with the locks. And I was like, oh, man, that's perfect. It's very simple. It's it, you know, it's Spartan. It's simple, but it's to the point. It, it's every it's behind the table and it's you. Um, so whoever came up with that logo, you know, that was perfect. I like it. It works. Um, and I know something about this because I tried to come up with my own logo, um, it, you know, and I had it for years. It was hand drawn um, based on I, I just took a picture um, of different items, my my guitar, um, some books. So, of course, I like music. I like books. I like film and came up with my own little logo. Um, and it was only within the past year, you know, I found out, you know, one of my fraternity brothers is a graphic designer. I said, hey, can, I'd like to hire you um, to come up with a new logo for me. And I said, I want it to kind of be my face, but then kind of show all the different things I love. And the first, you know, drafts of it, it was spot on. He got my eyebrows. He got my eyes, um, the goatee, everything. But it was something weird about seeing my eyes. And, you know, anyone that has ever done anything with with graphics, with people and, you know, when you watch movies and you see the CGI, the computer graphics, they talk about something called the uncanny valley. And it's something about when you look at the eyes of something that was generated in computer, it just doesn't look human. It's it's close, but it's not there. And it was really kind of spooky. So I was like, it's perfect. But can we change it and take the eyes away? And that was it. it. And it makes such a difference. So it's like one of those things when you think of branding, when you think about logos, simple is always good. You you know want people to see a picture and think of you or think of what you're representing. Um, and you don't want to get too overly complicated because it's got to be memorable. I mean, when you think about you know some of the, the, the greatest um, brands, you think about McDonald's, you show the golden arches, people know what it is. 
Starbucks has, you know, their logo. It doesn't matter what it is. It's like it's those those things that kind of grab you at first glance. Because if you got to look at it and it takes me too much thinking to figure out what it is, I'm going to move on and it's not going to be interesting. So I, you know, kudos to whoever designed your logo for behind the table because it's it's perfect. Well, you know, I'd like to uh, take some credit for the inspiration. Um, no, the actual, my co-producer, Rai, designed it, Raiko Theatrical. So I'd like to thank them for that. Yeah, it's beautiful work. Um, yes, I understand what exactly where you're coming from. It can be spooky, especially when you get a like an emoji of yourself, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having an emoji um, eye moment of myself. It's, uh, it's just not, it's not working out, but that's okay. We go with it. Um, yeah. Speaking of backgrounds, um, I'm always curious to know the backgrounds of the people that I speak to. Um, who you are is ever interesting, but you know where you come from is one of the biggest factors in the making of adult you. So will you give us a little slice of John Michael Pye? <laughs> Just tell me, <laughs> what are your two biggest influences, like moments in your life that shaped you to become who you are? Okay. And, you know, got you to how you became to be, how well, you came to be, rather. I mean, first and foremost, you know, if if the shirt doesn't give it away, I'm, I was born and raised in New York City, um, <laughs> Queens, New York, South, you know, South Jamaica, Queens, you know, got to represent. Um, and, you know, that kind of, you know, the city, New York, growing up in the 70s and 80s in New York City and 90s through the 2000s, that kind of, you know, gave me that view on life, you know big city, tough city, you know, you can make it there, you can make it anywhere, you know, the center of entertainment, food, sports, you know, we kind of had everything was spoiled, everything was there. And, and it's not kidding, the, the city really doesn't sleep. One of the hardest things I had to deal with when I moved out of New York is not being able to get food at any time of day or night of any kind that you wanted, or being able to go anywhere, anytime, you know, things close, <laughs> things shut down. I'm not used to that. Um, but it, you know, that's the, the city kind of, you know, helped develop who I am today. Influences wise, um, I would start with my father, John Butler. He is, or he's retired now, but he was a New York City public um, librarian. He worked, you know, for the library system. So when he came back from Vietnam, um, you know, one of the things he, you know, went on, get his degree, um, met my mother at, you know, College of Emporia in Kansas. Um, and Kansas, you know, the state of Kansas, Dorothy and all that stuff. He's a librarian. So I grew up, you know, when most kids during summer vacation were at home all the time or when they were sick, I grew up in New York City public libraries, um, Baisley Park branch, um, the Queens main branch, um, um, Glendale branch. Um, then, of course, you know, sometimes he would work at the main branch, you know, the, you know, the Ghostbuster library um, in Midtown with the giant lions. And so I grew up always being around books. And for me, it was, you know, it was like it just opened up the world to everything. There were no limits to what I was allowed to read. Whereas, you know, most people you have a, a children's library card, you have adult library card. But, you know, my father had the keys to the kingdom. Um, so I could read anything. And I did, you know, periodicals, biographies, science fiction. It didn't matter. Anything I could find. I mean, some stuff I probably shouldn't have read 
growing up, I'm not going to say that I re have ever read or seen romance novels, but I know who Jackie Collins is. Um, so some of those things growing up, <laughs> reading those books, but reading everything, it just it just gave me a love of stories. It gave me a love of storytelling, you know, how someone could take something from their mind, put it on paper and it created something for me to enjoy with my imagination it could take me anywhere and everywhere i could learn about ancient history i could learn about civilization i could you know read about how movies were made you know those movies that i saw on the big screen i could figure out how they were made so it, it really just kind of gave me that love of the arts of entertainment and also being able to take yourself on a journey without having someone have to lead you, which I think is important because sometimes you get influenced by, you know, older siblings, cousins, parents, the things that they love. I kind of was able to find my own path. So for me, it just, it's why I love so many different types of things. I mean, I can watch a Lifetime movie. I can watch, you know, Band of Brothers. I can watch The Wire. I love silly comedies. I can watch The Goonies. I can watch Dude, Where's My Car? So. So there's like no limit to the different things I love. And because of that, it kind of gave me the view of this, you know, so many different possibilities. You're right. You know, it's funny because it's true. There is a whole new world opening with just the opening of a book, the turning of a page. Growing up myself, my parents didn't really believe in too much TV and they didn't even believe in cable, which was... Ooh a terrible, terrible thing to me. But um, but as a result, I took a lot of time to read and my neighbors growing up also didn't have TV. They didn't believe in TV, so they didn't have TV either. So we would trade books all the time. You know, we're like, I got that new R.L. Stein, you know? Oh, there's nothing <laughs> cool. There's trade nothing me. Cool in <laughs> Encyclopedia Brown, or sometimes when you would have like summer camps or things like that, and you know, you were like, all right, you got to read this many books, and then you get this when you come back. Man, I, I was one of those kids that was like, oh, bet. Crushing I can read, <laughs> I'll read those 20 books, and then I'd come back. They're like, you didn't read these books in a week. I'm like, what you mean I didn't finish them in a week? I, I could have finished them, you know, a couple of days ago, but I tried to make it seem like I didn't finish them. But, um, and, and the beautiful thing is that, you know, you know, my wife and I, Kindred Spirits, like she reads all the time too. Our kids read all the time, but then they also have a love for watching movies and films and anime is their new thing. You know, they haven't invited me into the world uh, to let them watch the same shows, but, you know, I'll ask them, hey, what are you watching? And they're like, nothing. Yeah, teenagers. Um, trying to kind of, but I can sit back and smile and be like, you know, because I let them grow up in that environment where they could enjoy books, they can enjoy movies, like they can turn on the TV, they could turn it off, they can stream something or not, but, you know, they'll go to the library on their own and bring back four, five, six books. There's nothing like that proud moment when you see your kids sitting there. Um, of course, like me, multitasking, they have the phone in one hand with TikTok, but in the other hand, they have a physical book and they're just eating up stories and just sharing it and talking about it. Like it's, it, it's just, it's amazing. That is amazing. It's nice that you are sharing your gifts of reading with, with your family. 
it's just, it's like the gift that keeps on giving. And speaking of reading books that are age inappropriate, I read all the books in my, in my house when I was a kid. I mean, I was just coming out with facts on facts about books that I had read. And, you know, people would be like, where'd you get that from? I'm like, that was, that was this from Roots. And yes, they'd be are. like, how did you, I'm like, we got the whole volume one, two and three. I read it. I'm only 10. But um, yeah, if you leave, if you leave the books around, kids are going to eventually read them, I hope. And that was um, one of the things I didn't realize that, you know, because sometimes my dad would get the books before they would go on the shelves at the library. So sometimes I'd get books even before they were released, were released or even then when the books had, you know, they had aged out basically because too many people had read it and now they were older. And of course you couldn't keep it on the shelves because they were starting to get damaged. So we would get some of those books that were no longer in circulation, but you're right. Things like Roots, um, Go Tell It on the Mountain, they, you know, all those type of things. So we had everything, you know, we, you know, we had Marcus Garvey, but then we also had some of the, you know, we know who Jackie Collins is or, or, or what's the um, other, um, I read now, J.D. Robb is her pen name for her sci-fi novels, but some of you out there know her by her other name and I'm not gonna, it'll come back to me late later, um, but she writes a certain type of novels. They're romances. I mean, I, I, hey, some of the stories are really good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, not, well, when you remember it. I'm not talking about with Fabio on the cover. Okay, I'm well, about... <laughs> you know what? Don't leave them out, okay? Don't leave hey, any of Harlequin. them out. There's nothing wrong with Harlequin. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you remember the name of it, let me know, of the of the author, let me know. Let's talk about podcasting, because you are one of my fellow podcasters, so I really want to pick your brain about, you know, how you, how you, choose the guests that you that you choose. I mean, I have interviewed a few podcasters on this show, but none of whom have spoken about guests because they don't usually have guests. They usually just have a topic that they're talking about, but you do. So do you have a system for who you want to interview as a podcaster? My method is really just asking my friends and colleagues. You know um, what? That's, it. That's, however, exactly, that's what I've been doing. And okay. I'm trying to get put myself out there more because if you you don't know it, it's it's like what is it you know you realize years later and and I'm sure a lot of ladies out here would tell it's like well why didn't you ask me out then you know well I always thought you were so popular that everyone was asking you out there's so many people out there that if you just ask them to say hey would you want to be on my show and come on and have a conversation they've been waiting for someone to ask and they've never done it before they've been interested and didn't think they could do it or understand how simple it is so for me, what I've or just- they didn't have the time up until now because of the pan panoramic. That's exactly right. Because this has forced people to be still. So I've, it, so far I've been asking people I know or a friend of a friend, that type of thing. But I know I need to get out of that habit and, you know, be bold. You know, it's kind of like years ago when I was still acting. I mean, I went to school, City College of New York, um, you know, for communication, film and video. And when I was still going on cattle calls and still acting, it's like you put yourself out there and, and yeah, it's you out there. And it's the, either they want you or they don't. Um, so you kind of, it's kind of that fear. It's like, I'm not afraid to get in front of the camera and be on stage and do things that I'm in control of, but it's still that fear of no. It's like, I'm going to ask them and they'll be like, why? Or no, or why are you? Who are you? And, and so I need to get past that 
and realize that people just are, you know, some people naturally just want to tell their story. They want to have a conversation. And what I can do is give people that make them feel comfortable, make them feel like it's a conversation like this. You know, it's you don't want it to feel like, all right, I'm asking you these questions and it's like, you got to check it off. It should be a conversation, but I need to put myself out there and be more bold and just, hey, ask people, reach out to people, send them a direct message or go on their website or anyone I'm interested in. And I'm probably going to have more often than not people say, yeah, I, you know, it's just a matter of, like you said, is finding the time. So I need to have more structure. Um, and shout out to you, you know, because we spoke months ago and you were like, yeah, I have to schedule these things or they're not going to get done. So having that scheduling mindset and actually because when you put a date on something or you do an invite, you tend to like you, you tend to actually do it. Like even during your day when you plan things out, if you don't put it down, if you don't write it down, if you don't schedule something then it's not out there. It doesn't exist yet. It's just an idea. But when you put it down and say, okay, I'm going to meet with this person on this day. All right, bet. I'm, I put it in my calendar for old school people that still have, the, they write it down. These days you don't need to because everything is electronics in the cloud. You can do it. You can book it. But with people, you know, whether it's entertainers, actors, singers, writers, people that actually are, you know, either in the business or they have a small business, time is everything. And you really need to make sure you give yourself an opportunity to fit into people's time and value that time. So that's one of the things like that's I'm stealing that from you. I know you didn't invent it, scheduling it, but, it, you know, I'm thankful that that's right. what do and it's something I can see. And that's why you've been consistently putting out episodes week after week. The only way you can do that is if you plan it. Um, I tend to sometimes be a little bit more haphazard. It's like, yeah, I want to do X, Y, and Z. Um, that's why I'm trying to get into doing more with vision boards and putting more stuff down so that things aren't just thoughts. You know, it's, you know, I think, you know, I write a lot, but more focused writing is what I need to be, have more control and to be more consistent because I have a lot of things to say. I have a voice and part of my voice is to help people get their voice out there. Yeah, I, I have to say it's, it is really accurate. An accurate portrayal of me would be somebody who schedules things. <laughs> um, when I wake up in the morning, you know, you got to write it down. You got to put pen to paper. You know, what, what do you want to do today? What do you, what did you commit yourself to already? You know, do you have time to do that? Like that's really what, what happens. And a lot of times when people say, oh yeah, I'll do that. I want to, I'll sign up for that. I'll do that. You, you really have to do it right then. You have to say, okay, so what time? And then you have always, to what is it? What is that saying from sales? Was it Glenn Glory, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, always be closing. And, and you're right. You know, that ABC, you're right. It's like, exactly. it's like, oh, you want to do it? Yes. Okay. How about this date? And then person has to go, okay, let me check. And then I go, yeah, I can do that. All right. That's the date. Right. Now it's out there. Now we have that commitment and, you know, it helps you plan a little bit better. And, you know, that focus is important. And I think you come up with better product um, because, you know, as much as people, you know, there's a reason why shows like SNL have been in, you know, Silent Live have been in for years. It takes a lot 
to go into planning to do 90 minutes or, you know, with commercials and stuff less than that live TV, you don't just show up, you Absolutely know, it's all behind the scenes, all the rehearsals, all the, the fights and discussions in the writer's room, planning out who the host is going to be six months from now, seven months from now, like all those different things um, go into making live work. And there's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. Um, and the magic, the magic of, of live TV is not magic at all. In fact, it's a, uh, it's a lot of different ingredients. One of which is a lot of rehearsal, a lot of production, pre-production, and even um, post-production um, for the, for the live. But Absolutely. yes, a lot of times people think, oh, can you, can you just show up and do this? And you're like, uh, mm. no, you're going to need to, you're going to want to rehearse that. You're going to want to write something down. You're going to want to put pen to paper. Um, I really, <laughs> I want to switch gears um, back into your blog, Multifarious Man. Um, it seems like you have a sort of a crossover of like podcast meets blog. When I look at your website, um, when I look at people's websites, I'm often very, very like overwhelmed because um, the amount of upkeep on a website is like terribly taxing for busybodies, especially people like me who've got three and four things going on. You want me to sit down for what, three more hours and like go through updating this website? Ugh, yuck. <laughs> I'm I'm the social media person. I, I'm the designer. I am the director for my companies. And mm -hmm. sometimes I drop the ball. So I guess like when I looked at your website, I was like, what, what would you recommend for people like me who don't have teams, you know, who are like the team of one uh, working on social media, websites, et cetera, um, you know, with keeping up and engaging with their audience, keeping relevant and and having material that's not too dated. Well, what I'm learning, and I've learned this from interacting with other people that do it, is there's a little trick called you kind of batch things sometimes. Um, even something as simple as like if you're recording a podcast, you don't have to, if, if you want to have the podcast come out weekly, monthly, whatever it is, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like how Jeopardy does it. They don't film the show every day. Right. They film, you know, 10 shows a day, what you, you kind of have to, in some instances, you kind of have to do that. And I'm learning to be better at that is you book your time. It's like, you know what, on this day, I'm going to record four episodes, four interviews, whatever it is, especially if you're not live. Um, so you plan it that way. You get it in the can. You can do your editing, your post editing. You can, you know, if you need to add a new intro later because something happened um, in the world that's more current. Um, you can make those updates and changes, but even little things, I mean, like you said it yourself, when you're doing everything, it can be, it can be tiring. So it's like trying to plan out, okay, yeah. what, what image am I going to use? What graphic? It's like, I want to post something on Instagram or Twitter and I want it to be relevant, but I don't want it to feel like work. So you find, you know, those 10 or 15 images that you might use all the time already have them saved up, but then you can add new text to it each time. And then within two minutes, you can send something else out again, you know, whether it's a little 30 second video blurb or adding music, you know, what I'm finding and, you know, shout out to, you know, a 
you know, a, a good colleague, um, Dr. T.O.D., and I'll talk about that her a little bit later, is she even said it. She said people realize and they find this out through the analytics is people are more likely to if you post a static image, people are more likely to scroll past. But if you you know add some music to it or add some you know moving images, people spend more time. And I think it's kind of like that TikTok mindset is people will spend more time and then they, then you kind of reel them in and get them interested. But you have to plan those things out. You have to plan spontaneous spontaneity is is really what it is. You know, you like you said, you know, you know, when you put in the work, whether you're doing a live show in theater or things like that, you have to you have to work at making things look spontaneous. And that's one of the things that probably the, the people that are really successful at um, at social media is they're not just that day coming up with the things they're going to post. They've already planned it out ahead of time. And then now they're going or, you know, a lot of apps and a lot of websites, they'll let you plan or schedule when something's going to be posted. So it always seems like people are current. It's like, man, how did they always did always consistently? It's like, no, they probably sat down one day and scheduled out all the different things they are going to post, set it and forget it to steal from Ron Popeil. Um, for those of an age of infomercials, it's like you <laughs> get it. And that's really the key. I yeah, it's it's what's it's comes from being multifarious, man. It's like I I have different things that influence me, quotes from TV shows, commercials, whatever it is, and they'll pop into my mind. And if you can't talk to me in movie quotes and commercial, then we're probably not gonna get along, you know. <laughs> and it's funny when I see my kids do it, I'm like, man, I don't know that quote. Well, I'm like, yeah, my wife and I would give each other a look. It's like, we're so proud. It's like they probably shouldn't be saying <laughs> that particular quote, but we're still so proud anyway. Um, so that's really what I'm learning that's is the funny. key is to plan those things out and schedule. And it, it's kind of like what we talked about before and scheduling it. And that's the only way to stay relevant, because then when something new happens or something current, you know, the way this world changes on a dime and sometimes you need to put out new, fresh content or a new essay or something that just came to mind or a, a, a particular topic on a podcast that I'll come up with. Sometimes it's so fresh and it's so current, but then there's certain things that are just like timeless. You might have a topic that, you know, it may seem like it's like, oh man, that's, that's so fresh. And I'm like, no, what I was reading some of the things I wrote years ago um, when you're talking about equality and when you're talking about how you get treated and, you know, how we want the world to see us um, as black people, you know, whether you're consider yourself African-American, Caribbean, wherever you're from, or, you know, even if you're, you know, can't trace your ancestors back to Africa, um, certain things are so current and so timeless. You know, I looked and it's like, really, sometimes you go back and look at your old journals, things you've written, you're like, man, I could, I could have wrote this today. You know, you're, so, you're like, I was I, so wise back then. <laughs> and it just we keep repeating our, you know, history keeps repeating itself. We don't learn. You know, we 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 try to make it seem like things haven't changed. But same things our grandparents were going through, parents were going through, you know, we're going through the same things. And our kids, are, you know, kids are going through the same thing. And it's like, you know, we have to change or it's just going to keep going on and on. But kind of get off of you know where we started but that's really what it is you plan these things out that's really the only way you can do it because you can't be fresh like we don't have a i don't have a, a street team 
you know, that's that's out putting out my flyers or my CDs for or the show coming up or, you know, I told you that we won't stop. We don't have the, you know, the bad boy street team that's out there working for us. We're the street team. We're the we're the um, the um, barker that's on the corner on a on a soap stand. I mean, a soapbox soap stand, whatever you want to call it. We're the ones that's out there shouting, hey, come on, come see the show. Come on in here. Come into the Nickelodeon. You know, come see what we have on stage. The bearded lady. That's what we we're our we're our own hype men and hype women. We're Flavor Flav. You know, you know, we're the person that's, you know, repeating the um, the spontaneous, you know, um, freestyle rap where everyone knows the words. And I never got that one, but that's OK. Like we're on stage. <laughs> we're the we're the 20th member of Wu-Tang. Um, but the only way you can do that is you got to plan it out because it, it can be overwhelming because, you know, because then by the time you get on camera or the time you do in the show, it doesn't feel fresh. It feels forced, you know, and you don't want to, you know, be that copycat um, newsroom that just is coming up with a story is, you know, for clickbait or whatever it is. It's like I want what I put out there and the things I'm talking about, you know, first and foremost, it's got to be important to me and relevant to me. Um, and not just trying to follow a trend. Yeah, you know, it's like um, the TikTok world that we live in now for most millennials, they have um, about 15 seconds before their attention span is completely ruined. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, it's true what you said about adding music or adding something that is animated. It makes it, makes people stop because they're they're so inundated with, you know, videos and shows and things to look at that they're not going to pay much attention if it's not dynamic. Um, I'm going to go through a couple of these comments really quick before we go into our break. Let's see. Tamara Hill Bennett says, hello. Sean hello, Sean. I love eyes. Okay. <laughs> so my name, John, there's some hearts. Thank you. Um, let's see here. Let's go through. There's a lot of hellos. Good question. Hey there, thank you. Ah, my dad's on. Oh, hey dad. Uh, and we also Deacon have John Butler. That's you know. Tamara Hill Bennett said, "Use automation and batch." Thank you. Yes, and that's, that's what we're that, doing. That's the Doctor T that I stole that from when she was ah. automation and batch. Nice. We're supporting our brother. Thank you, Tamara Hill Bennett. Um, it's true. It's it really does. Batching is the name of the game. Okay. First of all, when I have a campaign that comes out, you have to believe that I've been working on this for like at least a month before anything comes out, you know? So, and, and then you plan the rollout and the rollouts take time to plan too, because you have to get ready for them and you have to roll it out and then you have to roll it out on all your social medias and you have to be consistent, you know, make sure the font is the same and everything. Um, Anywho, I really want to hear more about you and what you have going on in your present and your future, but it's going to have to wait for a few seconds because we're going to have a word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. I saw the life inside you. Shine bright like a diamond. Shine bright like a diamond. 
<laughs> I, so, I, don't care, I don't care what anybody says. Um, Sia and Rihanna sound the same. <laughs> what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> <laughs> um, I really want to talk about what you have going on, coming up. What's in your little bag of tricks? Are you doing any any new podcasts or blogs or or shows? What's going on in, in the world of the multifarious man? So in the immediate coming up this Sunday, I'm actually part of um, the Sharp Sexy Sisters. It's their third network empowerment summit. Um, it's in Ignite Your Passion to Profit for Virtual Entrepreneurs. Um, and, you know, people can sign up for that at sharpsexysisters.online. And this is um, coming up Sunday, June 13th at 2 p.m. Um, and it's myself along with several other speakers. Um, and we're covering various topics, um, but it's really about um, virtual entrepreneurs. It's about entrepreneurship. It's about taking your passion and really turning it, you know, how do you turn that into profit, what you're doing? You know, people are doing side hustles. People are doing so many different things. Um, and, you know, it's an opportunity for people to network, you know, virtually. You know, we're still in that, you know, the COVID, you know, situation, but this gives us an opportunity to get together. Here's some really dynamic speakers. Um, it's not just the ladies. I'm, you know, there's a few brothers that are part of um, the Sharp Sexy Sisters. Um, and I think it's an important conference to come out. You know, they can, you know, follow me and check for the links on Facebook. But yeah, it's sharpsexysisters.online. Um, that's the immediate. Um, also, I'm continuing to, you know, what I've found through the pandemic, and I'm thankful for this, is once everyone, everything shut down, and then suddenly everyone was online and virtual. Um, and what I've been able to do, not only to continue to um, create my podcast, um, but also be able to offer, you know, services to people to help them, whether it's with their Zoom conference or their webinar. Um, so I have that you know, up my sleeve also to help people, you know, with the technical part of it, not just helping to be part of it, but actually help them get their word out there, help them with their conference, help them with their shows, help them with Zoom birthday parties, you know, whether it's, you know, grandma and grandpa can't get out to it to actually kind of take that off and walk people through it. So it started with me helping with my church, you know, Hopewell Church here in Jacksonville, Florida, where we were all of a sudden we had to teach, you know, the congregation how to do life group or Sunday school online. So it wasn't just mm -hmm. sermons being online, but actually showing people etiquette of how to do conduct yourself on Zoom, how to use it, how to actually open up your computer, your iPad, all those different things. And it seems like all the years I've been preparing for this. Um, and I'm thankful for this, you know, I'm, you know, Christian first and foremost. And I'm thankful, you know, to God to kind of, he, he gives you these gifts and you don't know where you're going to use them or how you're going to use them. I mean, we went to school for, you know, for film and, you know, theater many, many moons ago, you know, City College in, you know, in the 90s. In New York. In New York City. city you gotta, New Yorkers always got to rep New York. <laughs> And it's now all those different gifts and skills I've been given over the years, whether it's being comfortable with showing people how to do things, opening up, getting people to be comfortable, whether it's with their camera or their microphone, teaching them different things to do. So now these skills that I have, I have the opportunity to share it with people. 
And it's one of those things I'm really thankful for is because there was a need. The call went out from, you know, the pastor and some of the deacons. And, you know, I was like, yeah, I know how to do this. And I love doing it. I love, you know, the smiles you see on people's faces when they can take their vision and focus on the creative piece and have someone to help them with the technical aspect. You know, That's it's interesting like. that you bring that up because actually um, last week during my conversation with Krisha Marcano, she talked about how to create a career for yourself using the skills that you were naturally drawn to, like that you already kind of have and cultivate over your sort of lifespan. Um, and basically, you know, she would say, what do people ask you for help for? What do people come to you for? What are you just naturally drawn to? What are you good at? Make a list of it um, when you're ready to transition to a different career. Um, and so I know it's true. You do offer a lot of services on your website from hosting webinars, production for podcasts, voiceover work. And and I know from experience that you're good at it because you hosted one of my webinars, which is which was awesome. And so I'm grateful to you for doing that. But how did you get into the field of introducing people to all things that you love? Like what how did you get into this space where you offer services? Obviously you come from a theater uh, film background. So so is that what you did? Did you make a list? Did you, or did it just naturally happen that way where people are just asking you? Yeah, it's one of those things that when you you do it one time and you just say, hey, I'd like to help. And I think that's what it is, not being afraid to raise your hand and offer to help people. And it wasn't in a way of, you know, kind of what can I get out of this? It was, no, I really enjoyed doing this. And I think that's kind of helped to make people feel comfortable. And it's kind of instead of, you know, the New Yorker in me is like, you know, looking at people sideways. It's like, what you want, man? Get your hands out my pocket. What are you looking for? And you find that when you're genuine and sincere, I think it makes it it, it makes people a little bit more more comfortable. And it's it's just something naturally that I do where it, there wasn't an alternative ulterior motive. It's like, I like doing this. Let me help. And then people say, hey, you know, I know someone else that may need something like this. You should reach out to them and, you know, but then don't be afraid to put a value to your time. Like, don't be afraid to even ask or say it. It's like, hey, I'm just starting to do this. This is, you know, I've done this a few times. Let me help you out. And you decide. And, you know, if things go well, then, you know, they'll have there'll be opportunities down the road. And that's kind of how I've been approaching it. It's like, you know, stuff with the church. It's like, I'm just offering, you know, this is kind of part of the ministry. It's like, I'm supposed to do these things for the congregation. But outside of that, you're realizing that word of mouth goes a long way. It's like when you're willing to, you know, step in and help and offer to be a part of it and, you know, not be afraid to share your knowledge, you'd be surprised later people are willing to pay for your services. People, people know where value is, but you have to be willing to open your mouth. You know, don't undervalue yourself. You know, like be, re right. be realistic, you know, don't, don't think you're going to get that max contract. Like um, you know, just because you played pickup basketball in the park, you can't ask for Steph Curry numbers. It, it, it doesn't work like that. But at the same time, you know, don't, undervalue yourself. You know, if something actually it, it costs you this much to do, at least say, here's the, here's my cost. You Cover know, my cost. Yeah. yeah. It's like, 
and be okay with that. But you have to be okay with that. And then over time, it's really, that's how business works. You build up a reputation for being reliable first and foremost. It's like, you got to be able to do the job. You got to be reliable. You have to be consistent. You can't play with people when it comes to their time. Even if it's something they're volunteering, you, you don't play with people when it comes to time and money. You just don't. You yeah, so you, you got to be authentic. You got to, you know, do it for the right reasons. Hopefully you're doing it for the right reasons, but be authentic and, you know, closed mouths don't get fed. So I like <laughs> so that. If you, if you need yeah. to be paid for your services, then you, you ask for a fair, a fair amount. And I think now, that sometimes <laughs> when you're right, when people are, it's almost like when you're, you're doing that service or that entrepreneurial service or whatever, sometimes we're so afraid to just, like you say, it's like, you know, this is what the value is to me. This is how much it's going to cost. And people are going to either be comfortable with that or they're going to move on. It's, you know, what's the most they're going to say? No, <laughs> they're not going to come hunt you down and be like, I can't believe you asked me to pay you for a service. I'm like, if you went to someone you didn't know, you'd be paying for the service, but then you don't have that, that relationship. So you, you got to pick and see what you want to do. But I like, I, I'm going to remember that again. It's like, yeah, oh, if you don't tell people you're hungry, they're not going to feed you. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? What is, if you could tell me one thing that you've learned that you'd like to give out, like as in terms of wisdom, um, what is one little nugget of wisdom that you would give out to people? I mean, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. And as we know, 2020 is actually behind us. Um, so what is your 2020, hindsight is 2020 word for the day? I would say really value the, you know, relationships is really what it comes down to. Relationships are important. Value your relationships. It's like, how much you pour into something and how much you pour into to um how much they pour into you it's like don't put keep pouring into a, a well where you're the one that's always given too much of yourself and this comes with anything relationships with work or whatever if you're just constantly putting in and you're not getting anything out it's it's soul crushing it's draining you know even the you know the best people they need someone to replenish them and to nourish them. And if you find yourself consistently surrounded by vultures, people that just take, 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 even if you're the best person in the world, it'll make you jaded. It'll make you feel like, well, I don't even want to do that anymore. And if you're ever doing anything where it's not fun anymore or you're not enjoying yourself or you're not challenged, you have to be willing to take a step away from it. You know, ask for the changes that you want to make. You know, I've been working for the same company for nearly 20 years, and I'm thankful that I've had mentors and managers that have given me opportunities. But I'll tell you one thing, I've enjoyed myself so much in the past year and a half because it's like one of those things, like all your skill sets and knowledge that you've built up for over the years to be able to work for a company that's given me the opportunity to be my authentic self and bring that into how I communicate, how I like to network with people, how I like to be in the middle of things and helping out and sharing my knowledge and teaching and, you know, having those conversations or sitting at the table and 
actually not shying away from speaking up on calls or speaking up in, you know, giving presentations, like all these different things that make me, me to have a job that lets me kind of take all of the best parts of me. And instead of, you know, me fitting into the job, the job is kind of fit around me. And so no matter what you do, whether you're working that nine to five, whether it's, you know, in your church congregation, wherever you are, your relationships, it's like, there has to be it has to be a challenge without being challenging. So for me, the biggest part is learning that valuing yourself, your sanity, you got to have balance. You know, one of the things you you realize when, you know, when you went to work from home and you realize some people were losing their jobs um, and didn't have opportunities, you have to value your sanity. You have to value your time. And don't be afraid to pour back into yourself and replenish. Same reason you have to sleep at night. Mentally, you can get exhausted too. And if the people you're surrounding yourself are just making you feel less than at the end of the day, it's, your, it's the wrong circle. And you need to reevaluate you know, what you want to do and where you want to be. Well, there's the word for you. Um <laughs> I value my relationship, so boop, there you go. Um, <laughs> listen, I have a question. Um, speaking of being at the table, I have a question that I've been asking like a lot of people lately, and that is, if you could have a dinner party and you could invite anybody in the world, who would it be? This is actually easy now. Um, and it would actually be my grandfather, you know, he's passed on, um, Russell W. Davis, senior Baptist minister. Um, and the reason being is the man I am today and the Christian I am today, it was a lot that he poured into all of us, all of his kids, his grandkids, all our lives. But, you know, coming to the word more as an adult. Um, and, you know, re, you know, kind of reinvesting my relationship in Christ and, you know, giving my life to Christ. The conversations I could have with him now where the, you know, the younger me, the in the world, the worldly me couldn't because I was so afraid to sit down and have those conversations with him about the Bible, about faith, where he was so consistent my whole life. And, you know, he always had the same message, always wanted to be a servant, always, you know, wanted to be a disciple, always asked you, are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ? And it was, it's almost like he was speaking another language because I wasn't ready for it, wasn't ready to hear it. And all of those lessons help inform, you know, my marriage, you know, you know, having Christ in my marriage and you know, I've been married, you know, 21 years now. Um, and thankful for that, you know, have two beautiful teenage daughters and everything I've poured into them. It's all kind of to be able to have that conversation so he could see how his grandson, how his grandchildren um, have turned out. Um, it, it would just be an amazing conversation because now we'd be speaking the same language. It wouldn't be like background noise or, you know, one of the funniest stories in the world was he came to visit us at our house in New York in Queens. This was probably in the 80s. So I was, you know, I was still, you know, preteen. And me and my cousins, you know, from the other side of the family who lived across the street, we were in the basement playing poker. Don't ask me why. We had poker chips. 
you know, it wasn't real money, but we were we were gambling, and we knew that wasn't something that Grandpa would like. Okay. And he, he, I guess I forgot they were coming into town. It's not like they lived around the corner. They were coming in from Kansas, so I should have been paying more attention. And I heard my grandfather's voice, and we shoved all those poker chips, cards, everything under the couch, hid everything everywhere. And it was kind of like, you know, trying to sit there like, you know, I was my grandfather. So, you know, make sure there's nothing on in the background. But it's like, I'd want him to be able to come to my house now and know that I wouldn't have to hide anything. Everything that's out and open is nothing that would, you know, reflect poorly on me or my family or on him. So the conversations we would have, I mean, you know, and even, you know, a couple of probably in the past year and a half, my aunt sent me um, a package where it was his handwritten sermon notes and sermons from the 60s, 70s, 80s, like to be able to pour over these things and to have a conversation with him and ask him like, where, you know, where was the inspiration that came from this? What was going on in the world that made you address this topic in this way? I think it would mm -hmm. just, to have that and, you know, kind of have, I know that he's beaming with pride um, because of it wasn't wasted ever. He had the faith in, in his children and grandchildren. He had that faith in me where he was pouring into me for a reason. And, you know, he didn't, you know, live to see the, you know, the, the seeds that, you know, he planted, um, that they were planted on fertile ground and that now, you know, the, the fruit that's bared from the tree, you know, it's following that path. And it, it, you know, I, it's one of those things that it would just be the, the best dinner in the world because, you know, I'd be coming to him, you know, humbly, you know, as a servant, you know, of the Lord, like, just like him. I love that. It's really well said. I want to get into the more into the multifarious man, John Michael Butler. But first, we're going to take another moment and hear another word from one of our sponsors, Nude by You. I got this feeling inside my bones. It goes electric, baby, when I turn it on. Off from my city, off from my home. We're flying up, no ceiling when we in our zone. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. Ooh, I can't take my eyes off of it. Moving so phenomenally. Yeah. So that was nude by you. This weekend, stop over to 409 Bleecker Street and get leotards customized to match your actual skin tone. The street will be filled with performances and vendors from all over the West Village. So that's nude by you. It's your nude by you. Um, we're back with John Michael Butler. Um, Want to talk about, take it back to some of these the theater times with John Michael, when you were auditioning, 
do you have any memorable audition stories or or just memorable stories? I, I do. Back in those days. Okay. Two stories I was thinking about. So the first, you know, think wait, go back in the way back machine to 1987. So 1987, uh, fall of 87, I was entering high school as a sophomore because I was, you know, in in Queens. And I don't know if they have this everywhere. You, you know, you have these SP programs where you kind of combine a, multiple years. So we skipped ninth grade. Um, through you know the the classes that we had at um, IS two thirty one in Queens, the tri community um, middle school, that we call it junior high school in New York. Um, so here I was, all of thirteen years old. So you know I'm a late late December baby. So I was often you know one of the youngest. Then the fact that you skipped a grade made me even younger. So there's this program called the ABC program. It was a nationwide program, a better chance. So basically it took kids from, you know, from inner cities and gave them an opportunity to go to a school, you know, a, a better school, a better chance. So for me, I joined this program and went to live in New Canaan, Connecticut. So here I am, this, you know, this little black boy from Queens, New York. Um, had always been in schools with people that look like me. And if it wasn't, they didn't look like me, it was 99% look like me. Here I am now, I'm living in a, um, you call it a group home, but it was a, it was basically like a, a, a house for, you know, we had a house father, we had house mother, we had in, in tutors, but here we are, me and seven other guys from different grades and ages, all from New York City. We were living in this house in New Canaan, Connecticut. So New Canaan at the time, if you just want to just imagine what it was. So per capita back in 1987, you know, 88, it was the highest income per capita in the country. So, you know, David Letterman lived, well, I don't know if he still lives in New Canaan, Connecticut, um, the president of Pepsi Cola at the time. So here I am, fish out of water in this school, you know, there might be three all right. So if there's seven black kids in the school, it was all the people I lived in this house with. And it was culture shock and not in a negative way. I just hadn't grown up, you know, I mean, yeah, you're in New York City, you see, you know, people that, you know, don't look like you every day. But this first time I was now living, going to school with people and I didn't know what to expect. So 13 years old, never been away from home before going to this school in the middle of nowhere, nice school. This school, I think it had, this high school had probably been built two years before. So if anyone that's ever spent any time in New York, you know, some of the schools are so old and they all look the same like boxes and, you know, they're from the turn of the century, inkwell, holes still in the desk, that type of thing. This school had everything. It had a, a donut machine in the cafeteria. I mean, like, I, I was like, it was like, uh, a high school from the movies. <laughs> so I love that. That was the thing that you keyed in on. You're like, this school is brand new. And the thing about it was it had a snack machine. <laughs> I mean, they had a fresh donut machine. Like literally you could go along the thing and wow. cents for a donut. And I was like, oh man, I, my allowance, I'm giving me a donut. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> I guess, you know, being away from home and, you know, not, you know, you know, be with my sister, my mom, my dad, um, 
one, the fact that I took the chance to do this, you know, I was probably, you know, I wasn't ready to be away from home. Um, but the spring before, you know, was the first time I really had encountered like someone close to me passing away. So it was a friend of ours on our block had died unexpectedly in an accident. And the day that I was going to go to actually do the interview and visit this school in New Canaan was the day of his funeral. And I almost didn't go. But there I was on taking the train up to New Haven and then going to New Canaan by myself, 13 years old. I mean, what parent lets you do that? But it was perfect. Um, and I fell in love with the school. And then, of course, that fall, I ended up going. So I'm in this school, don't know what to do. I, I'm trying different things. I, I you know, tried out for the wrestling team. I was 115 soaking wet. What am I doing wrestling? But it was like, it was like a kidney candy store. You could do all these things. And then one day I passed by and saw a notice for an audition. I was like, I don't have a problem. I was like, I would always volunteer for stuff in school or something had to be read or in church. I would be involved in all these things. I've always been a performer. And I walked in there and auditioned for a play called Dark of the Moon. So this was a play about, um, took place in Appalachia. So it was a, um, a, a witch boy that took on mortal form and fell in love with a local girl. So here I am. I got cast as Unky, Uncle Smellicue. He's the old codger in town. Always, you know, talk like this. And I remember, you know, them putting like shoe polish in my hair to make me look old. I was probably the youngest person in the building and played the oldest character. And I just remember having so much fun in the rehearsals. You, you know, that was my element. I was like, oh, this is where I need to be. I really do enjoy this. Having rehearsals, trying different new things out, getting to meet everyone. And these, you know, the, the people in this town took me under their wing. I was, you know, I was John Michael. I wasn't just some black kid that showed up. You know, I was getting invited to parties. I was going to people's houses. You know, we did Grease in the, you know, the following spring. But I just remember doing this show and my family came up. They drove up from New York City to see a high school play. And seeing them in the audience, my aunt, my cousins, you know, my sister, and just the the feeling of that, that being on stage, that energy you get from the audience. I thought the rehearsals were fun and I enjoyed that. There's something about performing for other performers. There's nothing like it. Rehearsals are still probably my favorite thing in the world. But those butterflies that you feel when you get on stage and here I am, 13 years old, living in another city away from home for the first time and being on that stage and that camaraderie and feeling that excitement of live theater, I never lost that. And, you know, I, I would always go see Broadway plays, but being on a stage like that, that solidified my love of theater, of writing, of music, because we had to learn some songs, um, different things like that, and it's never changed. So that's you know, that informed a lot of things years later, went to City College and, you know, did plays, did one act plays, learned about writing, learned about directing. Um, but some of those bonds that you build and some of the things you learn, learn those skill sets, you know, interacting with people, um, it never went away. Um, but all because I took that chance to walk, you know, I didn't know what to expect. And, you know, the fact that they saw something that I had a little bit of skill and had so much fun with it. And it's like you learn all those behind the scenes things about lighting. Hey, what's that for? What's that for? I was that that was me. 
you know, when there were kids in the play that were helping build the sets. I'm like, I thought this was something like professionals did. They're like, no, someone showed me how to do it. I'll show you how to do it. So learning little things like that. And now, you know, I'm not the most handy person in the world, but I can figure it out. You come yeah. up with ideas on how to do things and, you know, to be able to do that and have artistic expression, um, you know, the, the arts and the craftsmen, you know, the, you know, the best boys, the, you know, the, you know, the directors of photography, the assistant directors, the stage managers, all those different things that create that magic. Oh, yeah. That, you know, that love doesn't go away. It's true. I think it, it, the funny thing about probably why a lot of artists get away with not getting paid so much is that they're having so much fun just in the rehearsal process, in the process of creating, that it's almost like they would do it for free. But nobody wants to work for free. Okay. But I'm just saying. Yeah. Um, it's true. There, There is a lot of to be gained and a lot of fulfillment that you get from rehearsing and preparing a show for someone. And then when you get to debut it for them, it's usually just that one or two days or week or whatever. But in the end, you know, that whole process building up to that moment is probably the most valuable um, to the performers. And then getting to give that gift and, and have a reaction from the audience is also, it's also fulfilling. And you learn so much about yourself. Uh, yeah. And when people share in that intimate setting, like of a rehearsal, you know, this, you know, and that camaraderie and that you really find out a lot about yourself and you see your growth through other people's eyes and you see their growth. And it's kind of like that aha moment. It's like, it's like when someone hits that perfect note or when someone makes the perfect swing and hits a ball and it goes so far, it's the same thing when you hit it and you get that. And it's like, it's like, I just landed a perfect 10. I'm, you know, I'm, you know, what's her name? Simone Biles. It's like, I did a <laughs> Mindy double and I Simone Biles is more like a 13. Ah, when you stick that <laughs> landing, man. Yeah. What's your favorite part of being on set? I know my favorite part is striking, actually. When you get to strike the set at the end of a show and you, I'm, I've always loved striking where you, you grab like the, the drill bit and you're like, eh, you know, taking, taking everything apart. I love taking everything apart. My I, like, <laughs> I think my favorite part, and this is crazy and it's, you know, I, I, my biggest fear is missing my mark and not being on stage at the right time. But my favorite part is watching the other performers from the wing, or if it's a really nice theater and you're down in the dressing room and you're listening, that's probably my favorite part is you learn the show so well that you almost know everyone's lines and you know the beats of the show. For me, and you know that, their entrance too. That especially if you know there's a big laugh or if it's a musical and someone's singing a song, like we did, you know, Dream Girls at City College, and you know the young lady Kiva Jeffries that you know that played um, Effie, and when she does that, you know, and I'm telling you, we were it's like chills. It's like you're standing in the wing and you're just waiting, and it's like even though I knew I had a 
costume change and I was going to have to rush. I was like, I can't, I've got to, I got to see this, you know, this last song before intermission. And I don't care if I have to change, I'm going to stay in here. But sometimes you get so caught up in it. And I'm telling you, that's my nightmare situation is like, I'm not going to hit the mark or I hit the entrance and I'm not on stage, you know, on time. But then sometimes you, you realize after the show, when you ask the audience, if there was a miss or something that happened that only the cast knew about. That's actually fun too. It drives directors crazy. But if something is missed or someone misses a mark, but then the team kind of helps get them through it or throws them a line or ad libs to help them remember that line, the audience doesn't know about it, you know, but you talk, you know, right. you laugh about it later, but it's like, man, you, you were supposed to come out then you went through the <laughs> door or or if there's a cue that doesn't happen, I think when we were doing Grease, it's, it's crazy. And I'm thinking about this years later, there was a scene where in the park and the radio was start supposed to start playing and it didn't. And you just saw people looking around and no one was sure. <laughs> and I didn't have any lines. I was part of the chorus. So I finally said, hey, wish, maybe we should listen to the radio. <laughs> and then the radio. So, I, you know, it's like you kind of wait for those moments. It's like, it, but it wasn't planned, but it was like, hey. All right, we're gonna sit around. They're gonna notice that we're not doing anything. So it's like, hey, play the radio. And but it, it's that fun part of watching performers perform. It's like there's something about watching a performance from the wings, especially if you know it, and especially if you know that they're crushing it. it oh man, it's it, it's. I I know I'm preaching to the choir, you know, as a dancer, you you know, and a performer, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely do. There, there have been times where we've had a cue missed, like when I was, I think we were in college and we were doing um, the repertoire of Martha Graham. We were doing a piece called Celebration. And the very end of it, it's a lot of jumping. It's like six and a half minutes of just jumping. And at the very end of it, we're jumping in a circle. And after a certain amount of jumps, the curtain is supposed to come down or it's supposed yeah it's supposed to come all yeah it's supposed to come down and you know we're at the end and we're jumping we're jumping <sighs> we're jumping and we're waiting you know we count because we know after 11 jumps 11 more jumps this thing is going to start closing and then whoever's supposed to close the curtain just doesn't close it just so we're jump. just sitting there and we're like keep <laughs> jumping you can hear people wheezing they were like, <gasps> <gasps> like and finally somebody cued like curtain down and it was like we just kept jumping we were like what is this gonna end? so yeah it's not snafus like that you gotta yeah and other people might not realize it but yes we do um where can we find you i know you have all kinds of social medias and stuff like that so we have somebody, we have some down there, multifarious yeah, man. Multifarious man on Instagram, also on Twitter. Um, and the website is multifariousman.com. You can, and as far as the podcast, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you know, anywhere that you listen to a podcast, Spreaker, Stitcher, just search multifarious man and you'll find, you know, all the years of shows. Um, and I'm just going to, you know, keep doing it. Um, but that's how you find me, Multifarious, man. It's unique. Um, it's me. I think it sums me up um, because it's a little bit of everything. I mean, I've had shows where I told you my favorite Scooby-Doo episodes. Um, 
shows where, you know, there was a Father's Day episode. I was talking about, you know, how my father influenced me. So it's, you know, it's a little bit of everything. It's a, it's um, a hodgepodge. It's a little bit of everything. Let me go through a couple of the comments before we go off of here. Um, Cynthia, Melvin, Sharina, London. Hi. Hey, Vickers family. Love y'all. Great show. He's so humble. Yay. Yes. That's a, my lovely stepmother. Uh, let's see here where we got. Yes. Nude by you. Great accomplishment. Thank you. The theater at New Canaan High School was more high tech than my college. That's my okay. sister, Jonda, who so it, I don't if people she know. Went to the school you have, too, huh? That, no, she came to see the shows, but it's like you, oh, you, okay. you, if you have those people that support everything, my sister has seen everything I've ever done, even the stuff that was in the living room. <laughs> and she has supported me forever. My biggest fan and mm -hmm. you know, my favorite critic. <laughs> and she, and she hasn't stopped supporting you because she's here. She's been no. listening throughout. So thank you so much, Jonda. Listen, John Michael, this has been so great. I was so happy that you said yes to to come and have a conversation with me about podcasting and blogging and life and uh, speak to me through this screen. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to see you in person as an actual human being. Oh, um, but I'm yes, so, yeah, with I'm so glad you came. Up. I got my vaccine. I'm ready to go. Yes, fully vaxxed here. <laughs> You, thank you so much for taking out the time to do this. You didn't have to do it, but you did. So I appreciate it. A special thanks to Ryko Theatricals. We're here because of you. So if you like us, subscribe to our YouTube channel. And so we can get some of these Showtime coins. Um, if you like any of our podcasts and you want to support us, go to Ryko Theatricals and check us out. You can also find us on Spotify podcasts. My podcast is Behind the Table with Sherry Nell Thompson and Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We have them there too. So come on when you're chilling out and take a listen. And uh, if you have any other questions, get yourself over to ryco.org. Uh, feel free to show us some love there. Peace. Thank you so much, John Michael. Thank you for you're having great. me. So much fun. <laughs> See y'all next week. Bye y'all. You've been listening to Behind the Table, a weekly podcast from the Ryko live streaming series produced by Ryko Theatricals. Everything you heard was recorded live on our social media at Ryko Theatricals. You can support this podcast by sharing us on social media, writing a great review, or donating at www.ryko.org support. Thanks for listening.